1: This is Janet Mefford
0: Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone.
1: Are we going to stand with God? Come what may. If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford.
0: Welcome, everybody. We are going to do something very special this hour. And I am going to let these cuts speak for themselves. It's been a few days since we've been able to get to this particular show, and what we're going to talk about is the recent address of Southern Baptist Convention President J.D. Greer before the SBC's Executive Committee. A lot of people were upset about this speech, and they're right to be upset about this speech. There is a lot to critique. There's a lot to weigh in on, and I'm planning to do it this hour because, frankly, it's like he was asking us all to do it. So I'm not going to let him down. I'm going to respond. And in in the interim, we're going to talk about some of the issues he brings up and talk some about the Conservative Baptist Network's wonderful response to this address, which just came out yesterday. So we're going to dive into all of this. Let's get into what J.D. Greer had to say. There was a headline here at the Washington Post, SBC President J.D. Greer, God did not call Southern Baptists to save America. Oh yeah, this is gonna be a barn burner. Let's get into this speech from J.D. Greer.
2: Listen to Cut One. The primary reason that we partner together is to send missionaries, to plant churches, and to train up the next generation. We are not, at our core, a political activism group. Yes, we love our country. And we recognize some of the unique gifts that God has given us in the Republic that we are a part of. But God has not called us to save America. He has called us to build the church and to spread the gospel. And that is our primary mission.
0: You know, I think of J.D. Greer as kind of the anti-John Knox. Do you remember John Knox, the incredible evangelist in Scotland who said, He was so upset about the spiritual state of Scotland that he cried out to the Lord, give me Scotland ere I die. And I've been asking this question for quite a while. Is there any man in America who has such a burning desire to see the word of God planted into the souls of men? so that they would respond in faith in Jesus Christ and come to be saved. And it would transform this nation that he would cry out, give me America or I die. Why? Why? No, it's it somehow become a sin in the world of the SBC elites to love your country. And they try to minimize that. Oh, no, we love our country, but, you know, we're not here to save America. You know what? I'll take John Knox over J.D. Greer any day because the Lord answered that prayer of John Knox. And if we're not praying these things for our country, I don't know how in the world we will ever see this country come to know the Lord. It's not a good start. But then he says what needed to change when he came on board as the SBC president was cultural in nature. This is cut two.
2: So we didn't want to change our doctrine and we didn't want to change our mission. The change that we needed, if you want to call it that, was cultural gospel doctrine and gospel mission without gospel culture is sterile and weak. And according to scripture, even deadly. The question that the Holy Spirit put on my heart for the Southern Baptist convention when I began was and remains, are we truly a gospel people? Not in our doctrine and not in our mission. Yes, that is clear, but are we truly a gospel people in terms of the culture that goes along with that? The Pharisees who resisted, resisted Jesus, we know more than any other group in the world had correct doctrine. It was their spirit that Jesus said disqualified them from the kingdom of God. They weren't content with what the Bible said. For example, they weren't content with how exactly the Bible said it. So they created what has come to be known as a hedge about the law, conflating the traditions of men, Jesus said, with the commands of God. They said that they believed in the sufficiency of the scriptures, but they demanded uniformity in word and deed beyond what the scripture required. Equating again, to use the words of Jesus, their traditions of men with the commands of God. It's not that their traditions were bad. It's not that they were devoid of wisdom or that they were incorrect. It's that they equated those traditions and that wisdom with the authority of God himself. And so Jesus said, laid on men's shoulders, heavy burdens,
0: Uh, Okay, you know when he starts invoking the Pharisees that somebody's gonna get it and you can be sure that the people who are about to get it aren't his friends it will not be the liberal SBC elites who love critical race theory and bash conservatives with regularity and hate Donald Trump and go after the rubes in the south that's their word not mine I mean that, that that's their impression of people who live in the south who are conservatives of course they, they, they love the people in the south who are liberals they're awesome but the people in the south who are conservatives you can make fun of them for their location where they live you can just go after that and make maybe we shouldn't call ourselves Southern Baptists anymore because Southern has a bad connotation. This is the same group. So he goes into a number of clips here where he talks about the Pharisees. Who are these Pharisees? This is cut three.
2: Jesus said that the Pharisees focused on the more minute parts of the law while ignoring the weighty parts. They strained at a gnat, he said, and swallowed a camel. What does that look like today? Well, let me state this very clearly, as clearly as I can. Critical race theory is an important discussion and I am all for, as I hope you would be robust theological discussion about it for something as important as what biblical justice looks like in the world today. We need careful, robust Bibles open on our knees discussion, but we should mourn when closet racists and neo Confederates feel more at home in our churches than do many of our people of color.
0: Yeah, he really went there. He really went there. Closet racists. Who are all these closet racists who are hiding out in Southern Baptist churches? Can you name any? Because that seems like a really rotten thing to do, to try to use a broad brush to just call a bunch of people in your own denomination closet racists. But you really don't have any Matthew 18 process going on. It's not like you're bringing these people before their churches and saying, this man is a racist and he's been hiding it. And here's all my evidence that he's a terrible racist who needs to be brought up on church discipline. There's none of that. He just gets up and smears a bunch of people who are nameless and faceless and as far as we know sinless in this area this is the president of the denomination who is doing this nonsense he cannot leave this denomination as that president fast enough in my opinion this is disgraceful And what he's doing is he's he's talking all in the speech about unity and about gospel unity. We're a gospel people on a gospel mission. You know, it's the TGC thing, the gospel coalition. We just throw gospel before every noun. And then it makes it sound really, 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 religious and self-righteous. I can't stand it because it's meaningless. It's just blather. What is gospel mission, gospel culture? Just speak like normal people. Will you use the biblical terminology? We're gonna spread the gospel by preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified to people who don't yet know him. Is it that hard to say it straightforwardly? It's just incredible. Oh, but don't worry because not all churches have these horrible, horrible sinners. And that's another point. What he's really saying is if they're closet racist in the church, they need to go. Well, we can't have sinners in the church. What would, what, would, what would the world think if we had sinners in the church? We need to cast them out. Well, actually, that's not what the Bible says about people who are in sin. It says that they need to repent, right? Uh, uh, don't worry, though. Not all churches have these evil people. But of course, J.D. Greer makes veiled references to knowing more than you do about it. This is cut four.
2: And to be sure, for the vast majority of our churches, that is not true. And if that is not true of you and your church, then praise God. But I have received the emails and phone calls from people in our Southern Baptist churches who do fit that description. And the reality is that if that we in the Southern Baptist Convention has showed, had shown as much sorrow for the painful legacy that racism and discrimination has left in our country as we have passion to decry critical race theory, we probably would not be in this mess. It's not that clarity about the dangers of critical race theory is not important. It is. It's that, as Jesus said, we've ignored some of the weightier parts of the law. Things like justice and mercy and compassion.
0: Uh, okay, I. what do you even say to this? He has emails and phone calls from racists. You're just supposed to believe him on this. Can you release all of these emails that you have from racists? Because we'd love to see them. If you're going to make that kind of a charge as a president of a denomination, you better back it up. You better have the goods. If you start smearing Christians and calling them racists, I have the emails and the phone calls. Well, pony up, J.D. Greer. Where's the evidence of all of these racists in the SBC? It's a cheap shot. And there's a lot more to come. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This is the story of a young mom in crisis who felt alone and desperate when finding out she was pregnant. After meeting with the counselors at Preborn and seeing her baby on an ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat, she knew that life was the best choice.
2: My mind changed completely from the abortion the first time that I visited.
0: It's a fact. When a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat eight out of ten times, she'll choose life for her baby. I know God won't want me to just throw away my blessings like that. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the United States. One ultrasound costs just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. Would you please consider helping us to support Preborn and the cause for life? To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a health care program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through May 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new health care program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit profit health sharing ministry that offers affordable health care sharing programs, starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's Janet.
0: Welcome back. J.D. Greer is getting himself into some hot water. He does that a lot. I'm really not going to miss him when he's no longer president of the Southern Baptist Convention. This guy has been the king of the dividers. He really has. And, And the sad thing about it is a lot of people predicted this before he was brought in as president, and he has lived up to every worry that people had about the kind of president he would be. He did this speech at the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee earlier this week, and we're playing some of what he had to say. Just commenting on it, he was, when we last heard from J.D. Greer, he was talking about how there are all these closet racists in the Southern Baptist Convention, absent any proof whatsoever, names, addresses, none of that, just there are racists. I have emails and phone calls. Then he doubles down more on the Pharisee talk. He's very big on the Pharisees, although he failed to mention Russell Moore in that category. I guess Russell Moore is not a Pharisee. None of these elitists in the SBC are Pharisees. They're they're awesome. They're gospel people. But what about these Pharisees? Listen to Cut 5.
2: Brothers and sisters, in the 1980s, by God's grace, we repudiated the leaven of the liberals, a leaven that threatened to poison the gospel. I believe the question is now, are we going to repudiate the leaven of the Pharisees? Which can choke out the gospel just as easily. Most of you know that almost immediately after I began to lead our convention, the character assassinations and false accusations and innuendos and exaggerations began. I remember first, and I hope by the way you don't hear any heaviness in this. I'm just telling you what comes into my office. At first, I was gonna turn all of us into Calvinists who did not care about baptisms, even though. I've never called myself a Calvinist, and our church has led our state convention in baptisms for the last eight years in a row, baptizing more than Uh, 7,000. Even though we launched the evangelism and initiative, Who's Your One? In the last decade, our church has sent out 1,300 members to go plant 384 churches around the world, almost all of those to the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board.
0: Okay, you're awesome. You're not at all self-righteous. You're not at all any kind of Pharisee at all. It's the other guys. There are the Pharisees, they're terrible. And then he talks about the issue of homosexuality and my head just almost blew off my shoulders as I'm listening to this. In in total irony, I'm listening to this and I'm gonna explain why on the other side of this cut. This is cut six.
2: Then I was going to soften our stance on homosexuality even though I publicly affirmed the Danvers statement and helped edit the Nashville one. My clarity about the sinfulness of homosexuality has been resulted has resulted in my being targeted by the LGBT community in Raleigh-Durham to the effect of having packages dropped off on my doorstep um, uh, anonymously, one filled with stories of, of gay people who had committed suicide telling me that it was me and my family's fault. I've read reports online that I was privately funded by George Soros with the agenda of steering the SBC toward political liberalism. Even though Al Mohler's podcast is the only podcast that I listen to every day. And that I regularly read The Federalist and First Things and National Review and consider the invitation that I got by the Republican Senate to pray over over the Senate on the day they confirmed Amy Coney Barrett to be one of the greatest honors of my life. And as for George Soros, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. And if he has sent me a check, trust me, I have not seen it.
0: Maybe if I mispronounce George Soros' name, it will throw people off the trail. What was that? George Soros? What is he even talking about? And and what kind of defense is this? They say that there is funding going from George Soros to the Southern Baptist entities. You know, I listen to Al Moeller's podcast. I can't imagine why people are giving me any grief over bad funding. I, what kind of excuse is that? What kind of excuse is that? It's not an excuse. And on the issue of homosexuality, let me bring you back to something from 2019, because this was a story at the time Reformation Charlotte and a number of other outlets had reported on this. There was a video captured by a Twitter user in which J.D. Greer displayed a massive lack of biblical knowledge, suggesting that homosexuality is no different than being disobedient to your parents. Yeah, This is the great guy who stands up against gay activists. Right. Yeah, right. And then he quoted Jen Wilkin, the female Bible teacher. We ought to whisper about what the Bible whispers about, and we ought to shout about what the Bible shouts about. And the Bible appears more to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to the shouts about materialism and religious pride. Really, Well, talk to the Lord about what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Just saying, I'm just saying, and I'm sure you guys will turn around and try to make the erroneous argument that the reason Sodom and Gomorrah really got it was because they weren't hospitable enough. Go back and read Jude. It's just ridiculous. And by the way, J.D. Greer is the one who thinks that Russell Moore is the bee's knees, who's a total liberal, and came in with an agenda when he took over the head of the ERLC and has done nothing but divide people, has done nothing but sow division. And what's happened to him? He thinks he's great. This is Russell Moore, who along with other Southern Baptist leaders back in 2014 at that family conference that they did, met behind closed doors in an evening session with gay activists, including the Human Rights Campaign. And to this day, We don't know what was discussed in detail. Well, I've heard some rumblings from people who have been there, but I don't know for sure what they talked about. Greer, if you're so against homosexuality, why don't you explain to the people of the Southern Baptist Convention why your buddy Russell Moore was meeting behind closed doors with gay activists in 2014 and refused to let ex-gay Christians who were there up on the podium to speak and share their testimonies of transformation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? It's just getting really old. And now people, he says, are calling his office with questions about who he is. Does that sound like it's just all about him? He's a victim, and then he also tr- tries to say in this speech, "It's not about me." I mean, I'm not trying to be a victim. It's just I, I just, and it doesn't bother me. All right, whatever somebody is complaining about for minutes on end, it probably bothers them. Listen to cut seven.
2: My office has gotten calls from people who say they've heard that I'm friends, good friends, with Nancy Pelosi that we text each other regularly, that I'm a Marxist, a card-carrying member of the Black Lives Movement and that I fly around on a private jet paid for by cooperative program dollars. On that last one, I had to ask, is there such a thing? (laughs) Ronnie, are you holding out on me? Is there something that you find out in year four of your presidency if you make it that far? Listen, that's all fine. And it's all fine. This is not a pity party for me. I realize it goes with the territory. But you understand that these kinds of accusations have become the norm for many of our leaders and the result has been a breakdown of partnerships and whole segments of our convention that feel unwelcomed. I'm not as worried about how it affects me personally, I worry for our future. Because when I talk with the next generation leaders as well as Latino and African American brothers. and asian brothers and sisters who watch these things and do not feel at home in our convention i have to think what a tragedy if we squandered our gospel and great commission legacy because of our unwillingness to be a gospel above all people
0: all right first of all when you're making these statements about people asking whether or not you have some kind of behind the scenes relationship with nancy pelosi do you i've never heard that before but do you he didn't say Do you notice how he just threw out the accusations and moved on and made fun of the idea of a jet and then starts talking about how you're making people of color feel unwelcome in the SBC? Well, let's just be honest here. People who have left the SBC, some of these black pastors, said it was specifically because they did not like the fact that you had a number of SBC leaders being critical and repudiating critical race theory. So the reason they were there was to push critical race theory in the first place. That was part of the reason that they wanted a place at the table was that was one of the main things. And if it hadn't been, they wouldn't have left. Is, is that okay? I mean, he says we need to look at critical race theory and we have to be able to critique it, except he never really does. Have you noticed that? He doesn't really do it. At least he didn't do it in this speech. And what about the critics? Oh, he has more to say on that the whole subject of the critics who really seem to get under his skin. This is Cut Eight.
2: The flip side of the surprise, the negative side of the surprise is how loud and how dominating and how virulent are that relatively small cacophony of voices that seems bent on sowing division and anger in our midst. In fact, there have been times that I've felt like I've gotten a glimpse of who's actually behind it. And it feels like that scene in the Wizard of Oz where, you know, Dorothy pulls back the curtain or Toto, somebody pulls back the curtain and there, you know, the Wizard of Oz is just a scrawny little old man with a huge microphone. And you're like, that's it. You're the one that's making all the noise. What I've understood is that there is a vast majority of Southern Baptist people who just want to see people brought to Jesus and want to see the gospel go around the ends of the earth. And it is often people that are dominating the conversation that are not representing the Southern Baptist people. And God has put you and me as leaders in a moment like this so we can say that is not what the conversation is going to be about.
0: I'm sorry, but this guy is such an unapologetic snob. Who cares if these people are the little people and they're just small and they're just inconsequential? Last I checked, inconsequential people in the eyes of elites still matter to Jesus Christ. And every sheep in the Southern Baptist Convention matters as much as every other sheep, regardless of position in the Southern Baptist Convention. What a snobby elitist thing to say. Not only that, but do you notice how he just kind of wants to brush off criticism, the way that they did back when the Clinton impeachment was taking place. Oh, nobody cares about sex. What America really wants is for us to get back to the work of the American people. That's what it reminded me of. He spent so much time during this speech saying that what the the, the Southern Baptists really want is for us to return to the work of the Great Commission. That is a dodge, folks. That is a dodge. He does not want to address actual criticism by people he doesn't like. And like it or not, when you take on a position like the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention, you do have to deal with all kinds of different people. But I don't see him making any criticisms about what happened to First Baptist Church, Naples, Florida. What about the people there who feel unwelcomed because of how that whole thing went down and they were thrown out of the church over not selecting a pastor who actually wasn't qualified to be the senior pastor at that church? He doesn't talk about that. He just talks about these inconsequential little people who are just loud and trying to sow division. It's just insufferable to listen to this. This man has caused more division than any Southern Baptist president that I can remember. And I think you ought to own it. You're listening to Janet Meffer today.
1: This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: The Southern Baptist Convention is a very important denomination in the United States. It's the largest Protestant denomination. They have been one of the most faithful denominations over the last several decades, not without sin, not without some need to do some self-correction, obviously, as all churches and denominations need to do. But that denomination is in peril. And you better believe it will matter for American Christianity if the Southern Baptist Church goes down. And that's why this fight has been so important between the liberal elites who are now firmly at the helm of the Southern Baptist Convention versus what J.D. Greer likes to reference is, you know, these small people, these small, loud people who are launching criticisms. You know, a lot of their criticisms are actually spot on, J.D. Greer. That's why you don't like them. And these people are just not about truth, and they're not about unity. You can yell about unity all day long, and then when you spend the rest of your speech slamming the people you don't like, it's really hard for me to take your calls for unity seriously. So let's go back to some of what President J.D. Greer had to say at this SBC Executive Committee earlier this week. He addressed the need for SBC reform, but says a lot of it is based on lies, and then he goes for the jugular. Listen to this cut, cut nine.
2: The problem is that many of our divisions are based on 90% misunderstandings, distortion, and often outright lies. And it has grieved me more than you can imagine, not mainly for me, because I'm not going to be president in a few months. I am mainly grieved for many of our entity leaders and some of you who have been slandered and lied about. That is not what I expected us to be spending our time on. It's not what I ever wanted every lie weakens our resolve in getting the gospel to the nations and every moment you or me or Dr. Floyd engages in a silly argument or spends time debunking untruths is a moment that I'm not focused on the Great Commission. I think we need an attitude like President George W. Bush called for in 2001. We make no distinction in those committing terrorism and those who harbor terrorists.
0: Okay, so conservative critics are now terrorists. Oh, fantastic. That'll bring unity. I I could just see gospel unity flooding under the doors like a gas. Way to go, J.D. Greer. Way to go to bring people together in the name of Jesus Christ. Call them terrorists. That's fantastic. Because Pharisees apparently wasn't a strong enough insult. You had to go to terrorists. But he's a man of the gospel, you know. And he doesn't want to be distracted from the cause of the Great Commission. You know, it's easy to love these people you don't yet know who are lost. And it's harder, apparently, to love the people you do know who are in front of you, who are critiquing you, in most cases, with actual evidence. And there is very little accountability. It's just disgraceful. In being a man of the gospel, quote unquote, he highlights how awesome it is, too, that the SBC is caring for the sexually abused while not really getting into this whole scandal at his own church, Listen to cut 10.
2: I resolve that I will be committed to being a gospel above all leader. The gospel is the North star of the church. The gospel eventually corrects our wrongs. Previous generations of Southern Baptists got things wrong, grievously wrong, but the gospel eventually corrected that. A few years ago, we were confronted with the painful fact that many of our churches failed in giving the right response to sexual abuse. Again, it was the gospel that corrected that. Why did we not go down the same path that many of other denominations and organizations have gone down? It's because we have a gospel that shows us that Jesus cares for the vulnerable.
0: Okay, let me just say that if you go on social media, you can read all kinds of critiques about how the Southern Baptist Convention has handled this Caring Well initiative. But one of the most troubling aspects here is what happened with J.D. Greer and Brian Loritz. Reverend Brian Lawrence preaching at the Summit Church in Durham, and now they have gone ahead to review allegations that he mishandled a sexual abuse case at his previous church, and this just happened at the end of January. So good, review it, but he, he has been under fire for a long time, J.D. Greer has, over the issue of Brian Lawrence. So what of it? The gospel solved that, or was it Twitter mobs who were so mad about it and felt so slighted by the talk on the one hand from J.D. Greer about sexual abuse versus the actions that were actually being taken in terms of hiring this man—it's incredible. And we're not supposed to point this out. We're not supposed to find all of these inconsistencies. Mm, what about critical race theory? Let's get into this. This is J.D. Greer on critical race theory. Cut eleven.
2: Southern Baptist leaders have issued statements in the last few months, some of which the substance of which I echoed and supported. But one of the painful lessons that we've learned is that what we want to say and what is heard are not often the same. And I would just say that we should at least ask why our blanket condemnation of CRT was so devastating to our brothers and sisters of color. We at least owe them that. And we should commit that they should be at the table thinking through this as we go forward. We have to make clear as we evaluate ideas like CRT against the Bible, and we should. That we will never protect the feelings of closet racists in our midst at the expense of our brothers and sisters of color. And that we will fight against all forms of discrimination, both personal and structural, alongside them. Okay, closet racists.
0: But critical race theory is not something... Here's the problem that I have with what he's saying on critical race theory. He wants to have it both ways. He wants to be in the club so people don't think that he's not woke enough... Uh, and on the other hand, he wants to say there are problems with critical race theory. Pick a side. I mean, to, if you really believe that critical race theory is unbiblical, you should be able to say it loud and clear. And you should be able to say it of anybody from any background. And guess what? It isn't biblical. It's not at all biblical. It's one of the most divisive secular theories to come along and affect the church in a very, very long time. And if you are going about with, oh, but ha hobbit, I mean, what are you doing? How is this leadership? The whole thing is this is this speech about leading in the church, and, and he can't even get his story straight on critical race theory. On the one hand, on the other hand, on the one hand, on the other hand, we must reach out to people who don't understand. Look, not everything can be a nice diplomatic kumbaya session. Sometimes you actually have to take a stand. I was reading a quote not too long ago. Do you abhor controversy? Suspect your Christianity. Because Christianity tends to be very clear when it comes to having to pick a side, right? We have to choose to follow Jesus, which means we have to reject the world and its systems. That is a clear break. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That is a clear break that you have to make when you come to know the Lord. You have a new master. You have a new father. The father of lies is no longer your father. You now have a new father. You've been adopted as an heir, in Jesus Christ, when you came into the family and the body of Christ. It's a total transfer. We came out of the kingdom of darkness, now we're in the kingdom of light. It is black and it is white, and it's not the the, the choice of anybody who ever leads a church or a denomination, I'm sure, to get into controversy, but if you're gonna be a leader, you're gonna have to pick a side and stick with it. At least we'll know where you stand. Uh, One more cut I wanna play. Paul, listen to this, cut 12.
2: The apostle Paul was not only concerned with doctrinal precision, He was concerned to bring in the outsider and bring the church together in gospel unity. And that meant for Paul not giving some of his secondary convictions apostolic weight or making those convictions a litmus test for fellowship. Paul of course would never deny his convictions, but he realized Romans 14 that human Romans 14 that uniformity in some of his convictions was not as important as a gospel unified church. Let me be very clear. I'm not talking about communicating ambiguity on things that the scriptures speak clearly on the sanctity of life and marriage, the sinfulness of homosexuality. Those are things that faithful Christians cannot disagree on. Our consciences are captive in these to the word of God. I'm talking about the application of our wisdom into various areas where the Bible speaks only indirectly at best. When we say we believe in the sufficiency of scripture, as we should, Part of that belief means refraining from attaching divine authority or making a litmus test out of things that are not spelled out in scripture. Are the scriptures sufficient in laying out for us the non-negotiables for fellowship? If so, then why do we have a set of secondary criteria, a hedge about the law that we use to determine who is in and who is out? Do we want to be a gospel people or a southern republican culture people? Which is the more important part of our name, the Southern or the Baptist?
0: Okay, stop kicking people who live in the South. And by the way, you're in North Carolina. Stop attacking people for where they live. I'm done with it. We're going to come back. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford here today with Matt Bellas with Liberty HealthShare, a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. Matt, many people today are confused about their options for covering their health care expenses. How is Liberty Health Share different from insurance?
1: Well, we don't want to be insurance at all. We are called a health care sharing ministry, just meaning that as men and women, we're voluntarily sharing medical bills with one another but that means that insurance does basically two things that we don't do. One, we don't share risk. We don't try to take risk and spread it out amongst as many people as possible. We are each individually responsible For our own risk. The second thing is that we don't pool our funds. We don't put our money into a big giant bureaucratic black hole and hopefully someday we'll be able to get some money out of that. So those are the two main differences. We don't spread risk and we don't pool our funds. We're all each individually responsible for our own health care and health care bills and we share our money whenever we need each other as it pertains to our health care bills. So so that's why we're not insurance and we couldn't be more proud not to be insurance.
0: Why would you say that healthcare sharing is a great option?
1: Well, it really does set people free within the confines of a community that helps you in times of need. We're here to support each other in a community and help you during those times that are unexpected and unaffordable. But you as the individual have the Uh, ability responsibility and the freedom to make decisions within your health care that pertains to you and your family
0: thanks matt more information about liberty health share is available at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt or their phone number is 855-585-4237
1: you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet Well, you really have to
0: be talented to turn a speech that's supposed to be about unity into one of the most divisive speeches probably ever given. In recent years from a Southern Baptist president, I'm speaking of J.D. Greer, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, speaking recently at the executive committee, and he's getting a lot of flack for what he had to say. And I mean, you've been listening to what he's been saying, and he had it coming. You know, you can't be the president of the SBC and say ridiculous things and expect people not to notice and comment. It's fair game. One last cut I want to play, and then I'm going to get into this awesome statement from the Conservative Baptist Network reacting to J.D. Greer's terrible speech. One last cut from JD Greer. Cut thirteen.
2: They said to the church, "Hey, would you be willing to forego this and downplay this, even though you're right that you ought to be able to eat something that's strangled? Doesn't matter how it died. Would you be willing to forego that for the sake of church harmony?" And then James said something that explained the rationale that he used. We ought not make it hard for Gentiles who are coming to God, brothers and sisters. I wish I could write some version of that statement over. The doorstep of every Southern Baptist church in America. We ought not make it hard for Democrats to come to Jesus. We should make it hard for Republicans to come to Jesus, or blacks, or Latinos, or Northerners, or Southerners. At the end of the day, if we're a people who puts the gospel above all, what it means is that we turn to the gospel that has been given to us and say, how do we make it easy for policemen and school teachers because our gospel is too precious and our mission too urgent to let anything stand in our way?
0: Yeah, that's what Jesus was all about, making the gospel really, really easy, making it easy for people to come to him. Make it easy. Why are you so hard on these people telling them that, you know, they have to forsake everything and follow you, Lord? I mean, you, you should make it easier. Some Democrats and Republicans may not want to follow you if you make it that hard. It's mind blowing. It is mind blowing to listen to this. And by the way, you know who he doesn't mention in there? He says we shouldn't make it hard for Democrats to come to Jesus. We shouldn't make it hard for Republicans or for blacks or for Southerners or or for Northerners. What about whites? I mean, I'm not trying to make this a racial thing, but I think that's interesting because with all of the discussion of critical race theory and all the bashing of conservatives that has gone on over racial justice and all this stuff over the last couple of years, Think about the people at First Baptist Church in Naples being slandered as a bunch of racists because they did not actually vote in a black pastor, not because he had a certain skin color. That was not the reason. It was because he didn't meet the criteria that was laid out for what the senior pastor's qualifications had to be. What about those people? You made it awfully hard for them and made them feel unwelcome. And what about all the people in the Southern Baptist Convention who are just sick and tired of being painted as white supremacists all the time when there's no proof whatsoever that they're white supremacists? Or all the talk of closet racism and the SBC from its own president absent any proof. People are tired of it. And you know what? I agree. You shouldn't throw unnecessary burdens in people's way to keep them from Jesus Christ. But you have to say that about everybody across the board and look in the mirror. Because when I'm listening to this whole speech, I'm not hearing anything from J.D. Greer. We have sinned here and we leaders have sinned there. And Russell Moore has been divisive and Al Mohler has caused problems and Danny Aiken has caused problems and the critical race theory brought into the church and into the seminaries has been a problem. And yes, we have done this wrong. And we've done that wrong. Go through a whole list that has been compiled on a lot of different websites by a lot of different people. Go through it. If you, you know, start with repentance and maybe people will listen to your criticisms. But when you stand up there and you just beat the tar out of your enemies, people, all they want is for you to just go, you know, and, and, and for them to talk about unity is so ironic. I can't even wrap my head around it. It's a tragedy, guys. It's a tragedy what has happened in this denomination because these people are so self-righteous, Even as they call SBC conservatives a bunch of Pharisees, look in the mirror, look in the mirror, J.D. Greer, you and your buddies are Pharisees. It's patently obvious. I want to get to the conservative Baptist network statement because I just think it's so great. This is a response to J.D. Greer's address. Southern Baptist Convention President J.D. Greer's needlessly divisive speech to the executive committee meeting February 22nd makes painfully clear that the mission of the Conservative Baptist Network is more important now than ever. Amen. We join President Greer in decrying division and Phariseeism. Indeed, those who insist that secular philosophies and fallen ideologies must be accepted as useful analytical tools have wrongly added to the word of God, bringing needless division to a people that firmly believes in the sufficiency of Holy Scripture. Awesome. Great. It's true. Totally true. Further, they say, we join President Greer in repudiating closet racists and neo-Confederates who would make anyone feel unwelcome in Southern Baptist churches. And today there is no more culturally prevalent racism than that of critical race theory and intersectionality, which require us to view all people through a racial lens, not as individuals made in the image of God and made one by the blood of the lamb. Amen. Amen. At standing ovation, CBN, way to go. So well said. They continue. Such teachings are not merely incompatible with the Baptist faith and message, as our seminary presidents have unanimously said. They are inherently racist, divisive at every level, and antithetical to the gospel itself. Scripture teaches, and therefore we hold, that racism is evil and antithetical to the gospel. Anywhere racism, prejudice, or partiality occur, we should together call it what Scripture calls it, sin, and we do. Conservative Baptist Network Steering Council member Pastor Mike Stone wrote and successfully shepherded through the Executive Committee a constitutional amendment explicitly naming ethnic discrimination as grounds for removing a church from our Convention of Churches. We look forward to its second and final ratification at June's annual meeting. We call on President Greer and all others who share these concerns about racism and neo Confederacy to publicly provide specific examples of churches he or they. They believe promote racism and neo confederate teachings. Hey, CBN, uh, pst, JD Greer has the emails, he has the phone calls. He said so, he has emails, he has phone calls. Don't you believe him? He knows there are people out there who are closet racists and neo confederates because he has those things. Of course, he won't reveal them to anybody, but you just got to trust him. You got to trust him. And then they go on to say, We demand that such churches be removed from our Southern Baptist family. Right. It's only fair. If you have this kind of racism and Confederate advocacy, then bring it to light. That's what we're taught to do as Christians. Vague generalities and nameless accusations are not sufficient in the face of such alleged evil. While we are not aware of instances of churches harboring such wickedness, we know the president of our convention would not have made a broad and baseless claim, (laughs) try not to laugh, especially one that would paint the SBC in such a negative light before an on-looking world. These churches should be brought under public scrutiny so that light can pierce that darkness and hate can be harbored no more. Exactly. As we did in 2020, we again affirm the bold missionary plan of Ronnie Floyd's Vision 2025. It is at its core an acknowledgement that mankind's problem is as old as the Garden of Eden, sin. The solution is older than sin itself, the Lamb of God slain before the world's foundation. The gospel is and must remain above all. This is precisely why the Conservative Baptist Network rejects critical race theory in our peripheral pursuit of a just society. CRT is not only lower than the gospel, it is anti-gospel. Amen. It is anti-gospel. And I like that they throw this in too. Uh, I'll get to this in a second. They said the gospel message alone is able to bring dead men to life and reconcile sinners to God and to one another. The accommodation of unbiblical ideology will only bring further division and render real reconciliation impossible. It is also time for Southern Baptists to have honest conversations on several fronts. Our network has heard from thousands of Southern Baptist pastors and churches who are tired of condescending attitudes, diatribes, and calls for a supposed unity, calls which ironically have entreated churches that share the network's concerns to leave the Southern Baptist Convention. No, this is our Southern Baptist family too, and we believe it's a worthy call to partner together, to stand together, and to call our convention of churches to go forward. But before that happens, we have to determine who we are, what we're about, and whether we're willing to be courageous in the face of cultural accommodation and compromise. Doctrine does matter because doctrine determines the outworking of scripture in our churches and in our lives. Holding fast the faith makes us biblicists, sinners saved by grace, desiring to live for Christ according to the inerrant, sufficient and authoritative written word of God. And so they conclude by saying on Monday night, President Greer told you what he thinks of millions of Southern Baptists. In June, we will have the opportunity once again to decide who we are and where we are headed as a convention. It'll be very interesting, won't it, to see who the next SBC president will be. And in fact, next week, I'm going to be talking to one of those Candidates for the SBC presidency on the conservative side of the aisle. And I'm really looking forward to it. Randy Adams, it's going to be a wonderful time to just kind of pick his brain and say, what do you think? And which direction do you think the SBC ought to head in the future? It needs to be in a biblical direction. It does need to be in a unified direction, but we don't ever have unity by bashing other people without any evidence and being, you know, I don't need to say it again. You know where I'm going with this. And maybe there will be a split in the SBC. Maybe it's irreconcilable. But we know that divisions sometimes need to occur so the world can see who has the truth. Pray for the SBC. Thanks for being with us here on Janet Effort today.